So for this morning, we're going to be studying Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 through 34. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 through 34. So raise your hand if you are an only child. Any only children here? All right, not many. Who has at least one sibling or more? So the vast majority of us. Those of you who have a sibling, keep your hand raised if you've ever had an argument with them. All right, you should most definitely have your hand raised if you have at least one sibling, because if there's more than one child in the family, there is going to be conflict. You know, maybe when you were younger, you had a spoken or unspoken rivalry with one of your siblings. You wanted to be thought of as the one who's on top. You wanted to be the most competitive in terms of grades, in terms of sports and other activities. You know, whenever I was younger, my brother's four years older than me, and I was never able to best him in a physical confrontation. Every single wrestling match or fight that we had ended in the same exact way in a wrestling move he called the scissors. He would wrap his legs around my stomach and squeeze as hard as he could until I couldn't breathe anymore. I had to tap out and get out of the fight. Even though I couldn't best him in a physical confrontation, I was able to compete with him in the virtual world, and our video game playing was really, really heated at times. You know, as the older brother, he wanted to keep me in my place, and more than anything, I wanted to beat him on GoldenEye N64 or Halo on Xbox. And those times where I did defeat him, he would get so angry, and it was amazing. It was the best thing ever. I would just eat up his disappointment like it was the tastiest food imaginable. So this petty virtual sibling rivalry cannot compare to the greatest sibling rivalry of all time, which we're going to study in depth this morning, and that is the sibling rivalry between the twin brothers of Jacob and Esau. And believe it or not, this rivalry actually began before they were even born, and it led one brother to flee from the other in fear for his life. Now, this is an extremely sad story that is filled with a lot of horrible mistakes and sinful decisions. You know, it's a really good thing to learn from your own mistakes, but it's even better to learn from the mistakes of other people. And that's hopefully what we're going to do this morning as we dive into Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 to 34. I want us to learn from the mistakes of Jacob and Esau so that we don't have to experience the same consequences that they had to experience all those years ago. Also, I want us to learn about the awesome and unconditional grace of God that is given to undeserving sinners like you and me. So let's begin by reading Genesis 25, 19 through 28, and then we'll dive into the rest of those verses later. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, 
while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate all of his game, and Rebekah loved Jacob. So there's a question I want each of us to answer as we study this story. What should I learn from the sibling rivalry of Jacob and Esau? Number one, I am saved by grace and grace alone. I am saved by grace and grace alone. You know, Isaac was a miracle child, and so were his children. His mother, Sarah, couldn't have children, but the Lord opened up her womb at 90 years old, and she was able to give birth to a son. And Isaac's wife also couldn't have children, and this is a painful loss for any woman, but back in the ancient world, there were so many social consequences for not being able to have children that that these must have weighed very heavy on Rebecca. But the Lord guaranteed Isaac's father, Abraham, that he would have a massive family line that would continue, and this promise would be kept no matter what. So Isaac, he wants his family line to continue, and he sees the pain of his wife who can't have children, so he goes to the Lord, and he asks for a miracle. And as he often does, the Lord goes above and beyond, doesn't just give them one son, he gives them two sons. And I'm sure Rebecca was really happy to to actually be pregnant, but this is a very difficult pregnancy. And we're told in the text that the babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? How many mothers said that at some point in your pregnancy? Why is this happening to me? Another way to translate the original Hebrew is the children were smashing into each other within her. Her womb was like a war zone, and these children were fighting each other before they even entered into the world. So Rebecca is in so much pain, she has no idea what to do, so she goes to the Lord in prayer, and the Lord responds to her by saying this, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So God is saying that this physical fighting within Rebecca's womb is actually a symbol, a sign of his sovereign plan and how the future is going to play out. As we already discussed, Abraham has promised that a great nation will come from his line, but only one of these sons can be the fulfillment of this promise. You know, normally, the oldest son will be the leader of the family and receive the most blessings from God, but the Lord says the opposite is going to happen in this situation. The older brother Esau will serve the younger Jacob. The nation of Israel, God's chosen people, would come from the line of Jacob, while the Edomites would come from the line of Esau. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, why did God shake up Isaac's family in this way? Why did God choose Jacob instead of Esau? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us an answer to this question in Romans chapter 9, which is probably one of the most controversial chapters in all of the Bible. Paul says this, When Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, had done nothing either good or bad, nor that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So according to Paul, did God choose Jacob because he was an awesome man of integrity? Not at all. We're actually told that God made this choice before either of these men were even born or given the opportunity to do either anything good or bad. And we're going to learn in a few minutes that Jacob was often an underhanded liar who would do anything to get on on top and get 
his way. We have to understand that Jacob did not deserve the blessing and grace of God, but God gave it to him anyway. Jacob was saved by grace and grace alone, and the same goes for you if you're a follower of Christ. This is really important to understand. God didn't save you because you're awesome. He saved you because he is awesome. God's salvation is a pure gift, not a reward for anything that you have done. Salvation is something that you receive. It's not something that you achieve. Let me say that again. Salvation isn't something that you achieve. It's something that you receive from God himself. I love Titus 3.5 where Paul says this, God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And this truth of God's salvation, of God choosing us, shouldn't cause us to boast or think we're better than anybody else. It should actually have the opposite effect. This should humble us and cause us to show love to everyone and extend grace that God has given to us. You know, it's not your job to decide who gets into God's kingdom or not. It's your job to be a faithful witness and share the love of Christ with anyone and everyone you come into contact with. I think it's amazing that the Lord chooses to use broken vessels like you and me to share his message of salvation to his chosen people. God doesn't need us but he chooses to use us anyway. All right, what should I learn from Jacob and Esau's sibling rivalry? Secondly, I must not be controlled by my sinful appetites. I must not be controlled by my sinful appetites. You know, Jacob and Esau couldn't be more different, and this was very clear at birth. Esau comes out, and he's covered in red hair. His name actually means red or hairy. And I'm assuming that Jacob was kind of a shrimp and he was a hairless kid and he was holding on to Esau's heel. And so his name actually means heel grabber or usurper. Can we all agree that they're pretty weird name givers, naming their sons Red and Usurper? It's kind of a <laughs> strange name to give their son. But these differences between Jacob and Esau became even clearer as they got older and their personalities began to emerge. You know, Esau was a man's man who loved to hunt and camp out in the wilderness. Well, Jacob was more of an intellectual mama's boy who liked to hang out in his tent by himself. Esau loved to solve his problems with his fists, while Jacob manipulated people with his sharp wit and his impressive lies. You know, parents should never pick favorites, but Isaac and Rebecca weren't even close to hiding their personal favorites. Isaac loved Esau the most, and Rebecca loved Jacob. And I'm sure this intensified this sibling rivalry and made it worse. It divided the family into two different camps, Team Esau and Team Jacob. And in Genesis 25, 29-34, we're told a really sad story that shows the consequences of this sibling rivalry. We're told, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is my birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. 
Thus Esau despised his birthright. So Esau comes in from this hunting trip, and he is really hungry. But to be clear, he's not starving. He's not close to the point of death. He is just hangry, and he is too impatient to cook a meal on his own. So he comes in and sees that his brother has this delicious stew ready to go, and he begs him for it. And Jacob sees an opportunity to rise in the ranks of his family, and he pounces on it and says, fine, I will give you this stew if you give me your birthright. Because as the older brother, Esau would get a double portion of his father's inheritance. He would get twice the money, twice the stuff, twice the honor, just because he was born a few minutes later. So a single bowl of stew and some bread for this huge source of wealth and honor. Is this a good trade? What do we think about this? This is the worst trade in the history of mankind. Whenever I was younger, my friends and I would always trade stuff at the lunch table. Anybody else ever do that? You pull stuff out of your lunch bag, you try to trade it if your mom didn't give you things that you actually wanted. And the most coveted item was a snack pack chocolate pudding. People would do anything for that delicious chocolate pudding. Now this trade is similar to trading a delicious chocolate pudding for a single piece of celery or one grape. What a horrible trade that would be, right? He's giving up his birthright for a bowl of stew. You would think that Esau would hear this and go, you know what, terrible trade, I'm not going to do that. But listen to what he says instead. Look, I'm about to die. What good is my birthright to me? Now, I don't know that he sounded like that. I'm just assuming that's what he sounded like in that moment. Again, Esau is exaggerating. He is not about to die. He's so focused on his immediate wants and desires. He's not considering the long-term consequences of his decision. So he swears an oath to Jacob, and he sells him his birthright. He scarfs down that stew, and I'm guessing probably 10 to 20 seconds, and he leaves angry, and we're told that he despised his birthright, which means he didn't view it as valuable and important compared to what he actually wanted. Esau cared more about his immediate gratification than long-term security and planning. He was a man who lived in the moment, and he was incapable of thinking about the future. And as we read this story, it's easy for us to look down on Esau in this moment. It's easy for us to laugh at him. But how often do we follow in his footsteps? Whenever we choose to sin, whenever we choose to do something that we know we shouldn't do, we're trading in God's best for the sinful stew of Satan in this world. Sin tastes really good in the moment, but it leaves a long-lasting and horrible aftertaste in your mouth. It'll leave you feeling even emptier than before. I used to listen to a pastor who used to always say, sin always over-promises and it always under-delivers every single time. So many people in our culture and even our churches are like Esau. They live for the moment. They don't consider how their choices, how their words, how their actions not only affect themselves, but everyone around them. They try to satisfy their spiritual hunger with sex, greed, prideful advancement, tearing people down, on and on the list goes, but nothing actually satisfies that hunger that they feel within. And without even realizing it, they become enslaved to their sinful appetites. But as a follower of Christ, you have already been set free from the power and eternal consequences of sin. 
You no longer have to cave in the temptation. God, through the Holy Spirit, has given you the ability to say no to sin and yes to godliness at every single turn. So please, don't choose to shackle yourself to the sinful appetites that God has already set you free from. Please become a person of patience who lives for the long-term rewards of the Lord and not the fleeting pleasures of sin. So I want you to ask yourself a very, very important question this morning. What blessings from God am I sacrificing right now for a bowl of sinful stew? What blessings from God am I sacrificing right now for a bowl of sinful stew? I hope that's a question you'll ponder and think about for the rest of today. So finally, what should I learn from Jacob and Esau's sibling rivalry? I must be a person of integrity. I must be a person of integrity. You know, the horrible decision-making of Esau is often the major focus of the story, which it should be. But we must not forget to consider what we can learn from the underhandedness of Jacob. Now, technically, Jacob doesn't do anything blatantly sinful in this story. He doesn't lie. He doesn't steal this birthright from Esau. But I think we can all agree that Jacob was very selfish in this moment. And he actually ruins his brother's life. Yes, this unfair trade is part of God's sovereign plan. But it doesn't excuse Jacob's behavior you know, God uses our mistakes. He uses our sinful choices for his glory, but he is not responsible for our sin and our selfishness in any way. As James says in his epistle, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God's in control of everything, but he still holds us personally responsible for our choices. And in this moment, Jacob made some horrible choices. And if you read the next several chapters of Genesis after you go home today, you'll discover that Jacob doesn't stop with his brother's birthright. He goes after the blessing of the firstborn. He listens to the horrible advice of his mother, and he goes undercover, wears goat fur, to fool his blind father into giving him the blessing of the firstborn. And this, and this plan goes according to all the things that Jacob was, wanted to do. But his brother finds out, and he wants to wring his neck. He wants to kill him. So Jacob actually has to run away. Their family is fractured, all because of Jacob's selfishness and his want to have more and more and to advance in his family. He really played into his name of usurper. For much of his life, Jacob was not a man of integrity. He would lie, cheat, and steal to get what he wanted. And the older I get, the more I realize how much the Lord truly values integrity in his people. We hear that word a lot, integrity, but what does it actually mean? Integrity is being the same exact person in every situation, even when you're alone. Integrity is being the same exact person in every situation, even when you're alone. A person of integrity will choose to do the right thing, even when no one is watching them, because ultimately they realize that God is always present. A person of integrity cares more about what God thinks about them than what other people think about them. Here's a big one. A person of integrity won't change their personality, their behavior, and their beliefs to fit in with other people. Listen to what Solomon says about this in Proverbs 10:9. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. 
The person of integrity can sleep peacefully at night because they're not trying to hide anything from God or anyone else around them. So the final question for this morning, are you a person of integrity? Are you a person of integrity? Are you the same person at home and at church as you are out in the world? Or are you a chameleon who changes their behavior so other people will approve of you and think that you're great? Will you cut corners at work and at school to get ahead? Or will you do the right thing even though it may set you back? Do you pursue righteousness when you're by yourself? Or do you make excuses by saying, oh, well, no one saw what I did? Do you have a secret sin from your spouse? Or do you live in complete openness and transparency? And to be clear, God doesn't expect perfection from you and sinlessness. That's impossible in this life. But he does expect you to walk in the ways of integrity. Every single day, he expects you to become less like your old sinful self and more and more like Jesus Christ. Let us all learn from the negative examples of Jacob and Esau so that we aren't doomed to repeat their same mistakes and experience the consequences that they had to experience. Please never forget that the undeserving and unconditional grace of God frees you from your sinful appetites and empowers you to be a person of great integrity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, what you've done in our lives. Lord, we all come before you with our sin and our selfishness. Lord, we lay these things before you and ask for your help so that we can move forward and grow by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, after this Christmas season, Lord, help us to still be amazed by your grace. Help us to still be amazed by what Jesus has done for us. And I pray that that remembrance would empower us to live for you, would empower us to fight against our sinful appetites and to be people of great integrity, Lord. Let 2021 be an amazing year of spiritual growth for everyone in this room and everyone watching online. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.